Welcome to the Divine Rebel Podcast. I'm Pavitra Banavar, also known as the Clueless Psychic. I'm a spiritual guide, creative consultant, and holistic healer. This podcast is for the spiritual woman who is ready to drop the shoulds in all aspects of life. If you've finally taken the leap towards your personal freedom, then you're ready to break all the rules and do things your own way. I'll be interviewing other spiritual entrepreneurs and leaders on how they're paving their own path and making their dreams come true on their own terms. We'll be talking about all things spirituality, inclusivity, human design, and business. Get ready to unleash your inner divine rebel. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are back for another Divinely Seen interview today with Giselle Allen, who is a mindset coach. Um, I'm really excited to talk to her today because I've been following her work for a while and I love her authenticity when it comes to talking about leadership and decolonization work in the entrepreneurial space. Um, I'm excited to talk about what it means to be a revolutionary leader, especially as BIPOC folks. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Giselle. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I'm so excited to get into this conversation. I feel like we are going to get into some deep conversation. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. So I'm actually just going to let you go ahead and just introduce yourself and just tell everyone what you do. Cool. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, As Pavi said, I am Giselle. I am, let's see, um, my identities are I'm a Black American cisgender woman. I'm queer. Um, What else do I want to say about myself as far as identities go? That's it. I live um, in the unceded lands of the Muncie Lenape people, which is known by colonizers as Uh, Montclair, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I am a coach. Um, As Pavi said, I'm a mindset coach, but I do a lot more than that. I um, work really with intergenerational trauma and racialized trauma with my clients. Um, And I also provide a body-based approach so that together we work to create a form of being that allows you to be a revolutionary leader. Um, And what that typically means for my leaders is you're a leader who values people over profit, who actually has like healthy relationships and healthy boundaries. Um, You feel like you can speak up, be messy, show the fullest expression of yourself. And you're also included in the process, right? Mm. So your needs matter, your boundaries matter, all of those things. Um, So that's the work I do. And I do it with BIPOC folks uh, specifically so that we can take your identities into account and your history and your ancestry and your culture into account and include that all up all up in that process. So that's me. Nice. So we will get into all of that. There's a lot there that I was like already so just much. like, oh, let's like dive in. But I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to stick with the questions I had. So um, <laughs> first, I just wanted to ask the question I ask all my guests, which is um, when do you feel like your most rebellious self? I loved this question. I was just thinking about it before we logged in because I was like, you know what's funny is that like, I think people who would like see me in the online space would be surprised by this answer, but I don't really identify as rebellious most of the time. Mm. <laughs> like I grew up, I think most of us grew up like this, especially like folks who were socialized as women, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I grew up like obedient. I follow rules. Like I'm a good kid. Like I'm good. Right. <laughs> um, but these days I am more rebellious. And I think the times 
when I feel the most rebellious or when I'm really bucking up against norms of how I'm supposed to be as a partner, who I'm supposed to be as a business owner, um, who I'm like the ways I'm supposed to do leadership. So I've actually been doing a lot of rebellion in my business right now up against the online entrepreneurship space and really leaning more heavily into ways that I'm quote unquote, not supposed to collaborate or like peeling back my business to make it something that actually feels like me and not just a copy and paste of some like terrible white coaches shit, you know? Mm. Um, so that's when I feel the most rebellious when I'm bucking up against those norm standards and ways of being. Yeah, I feel like that's a big thing for a lot of us because like when I first came into the entrepreneurial space, it's like people would kind of say that where they were like, oh, you're here to like do things your own way. And we're all here to like, you know, break the norms and all these things. But then I, w- I, I wasn't seeing that. It's like I was seeing no, everyone. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you're actually seeing everyone just copy and paste each other and just be like, OK, I'm going to do what she did and all these things. Mm-hmm. And so to like actually find somebody like, and I think that's what drew me to you in the first place is that like, you weren't just somebody who was just saying it. It's like, you literally like walk your talk and right. That's the way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, wait. Um, so yeah. And I think that that is like, that's so important. Like, especially as women Mm -hmm. of color, I think to like see other women of color who are like, yeah, I'm actually going to like, just say what's on my mind because so many of us end up kind of like sugarcoating it. And, you know, like we try so hard to just be like, okay, well, I don't want to be the one who's like, speaking out against like the white coaches and all this stuff and just to like Mm -hmm. hear you say it every time I'm like oh my god like you know it's like I call myself the divine rebel but it's like there are still parts of us I think that always are still a little bit like oh but I shouldn't be like so outspoken or you know I shouldn't totally like say whatever I want to say so I love that you you not only do that but you do that all the time which I think is amazing (laughs) I do that all the time and like something I want to normalize is that like there are I don't know. I'm, I was actually just thinking about, I was like, what do I hold back at this point? Cause like anyone who follows me knows that I basically just use my marketing as like my personal diary. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, there are always like little pieces where I could stretch into being more transparent or more open and more messy. And so like, and that's something I find with everyone I work with, no matter how far along they are in business, it's like, there's still like this, these pieces that we still struggle to release because we, as folks of color, right, we spend our whole lives being told that no parts of us are acceptable or mm. worth seeing or worth listening to. So yeah, I'm doing it. And I'm also like, I'm learning how to stretch into more, even more transparency and messiness too. Yeah, of course. Um, so tell us more about your journey and how um, you got here. Yeah. Um, So I have been an online entrepreneur for about four years now, a little over four years now. Um, I started off where I am still, which is as as a coach. Um, I would not do a business if I wasn't doing coaching. Um, And so I started off in the one-on-one space, um, very much I call I I call myself in those days like the IRL coach phase. So I was like doing a lot of corporate workshops, things like that. Um, and then I entered the online entrepreneurship space because I this like I wanted to make six figures and those are the people who talk about making six figures. Right. Um, <laughs> and very quickly, I'd say it took me about a year, I just hit this place where I was like, all of this feels wrong. I was tired of having a white coach that called me Beyonce just because I was black or Mm. like, you know, having when anything racial happened, having like all these white people turn to me and just feeling like something was wrong and something was out of place. And so I shifted my business 
um, to working with women and femmes of color. And that was a really big deal for me because previous to doing that work, I really didn't feel accepted as a woman of color. I was someone who really felt uncomfortable um, being black, not being black, like I was comfortable being black, but I didn't feel like my blackness was valid. Mm. Um, And so as I was like making this shift and creating these spaces that I needed, I was also doing the internal work to feel like I was enough to support folks of color, um, which I think a lot, not a lot of people know about me in that point of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough that I, I shouldn't say lucky, but I would say that the folks in my community were, were lucky enough that um the universe like was really sending me this internal message to make this shift right around like April of 2020 and Mm. then May, June, that's when like everything popped off. Um, And the world literally was on fire after, you know, the lynching of George Floyd. And, um, and it's really just has been history since. So I've been working with women and femmes of color ever since. Um, primarily I work with entrepreneurs. Um, these days I work with entre- entrepreneurial leaders and some like some other leaders as well. Um, but typically people who identify as leaders and leaders and experienced leaders in their work. Um, and, but it's just honestly been the most rewarding journey in my life. Um, if you had told me two years ago, literally two years ago in this moment that I'd be doing this and it would be like the most successful, most fulfilling time in my life. I feel like, okay, sure. You know, (laughs) Um, but it really has been. And I'm just so grateful to be here doing this and having conversations like this with you. Yeah, I love that you like made that shift and were like, okay, I'm going to like exclusively work with women of color or, you know, femmes of color because like, I feel like I kind of came into the space thinking the same thing, but I sometimes find it difficult to be like, okay, I'm totally just for like one or the other yeah. and, you know, like all of that. And and I guess it's like, I, I, but I do speak out on a lot of like issues that, you know, come up with like being Indian and Hindu. Mm-hmm. Like I talk about cultural appropriation and all of those things. And I try not to like hold back and really yeah. just say like, okay, this is my truth. And like, I find that, like, if nothing else, like, I find that to be so rewarding is just being able mm-hmm. to, like, speak out against things that, like, I see and, you know, um, and just kind of, I mean, it's not, like, so much to, like, educate people and, you know, because I've had pushback and stuff like that, but I think it's just because people are, like, just in their own bubble, right? Like, they don't even know totally. what they don't know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, and, you know, I love that you make that distinction, right? It's like, you you know, you're, you haven't necessarily made your business exclusively for women and femmes of color or folks of color, but you're still speaking up around your truth around being Indian and being Hindu. And I think it's so important to like really say that there are so many journeys around speaking that truth, right? Like for some people, that journey might be just talking to people one-on-one. That really doesn't work for me. People do not like when I educate them one-on-one. <laughs> Like if I try to, if I try to talk to like white people, if I try to like turn people around, it does not work for me. Mm. So like I put my stuff out there this way and it works. And like, you know, I think it's totally fine and acceptable. If you're truth, you only want to share it around other BIPOC people and in close spaces, like Mm. you deserve to give yourself that safety. And I think the white world (laughs) puts a lot of pressure on us, especially if you're in the entrepreneurship space, right? Where there's all this talk around mindset and upper limiting and like, you just need to get over your visibility issues, right? Um, (laughs) It makes it that there's like 
it, it's in our pathology, our it's our problem that we don't have an issue speaking up. But it's like as folks of color know, it's learned experience. It's mm-hmm. the way we are raised. It's generations of speaking up and being slaughtered or being attacked or being like in true danger. Um, so Mm -hmm. it makes sense and there's no right or wrong way and there's no right or wrong timeline or journey to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Cause I think, you know, number one, it comes down to that safety. Like, I think that, you know, because so many of us know what it's like to be in these spaces and, you know, and I think, um, that's something that like, I always come up against, like even doing this podcast, because Mm -hmm. like when I made the decision that I was like only going to interview people of color, it's like, but I still sometimes have these moments where I'm like, should I bring white people on? Like, you know, am I doing yeah. a disservice? But then I'm like, no, because they have plenty of, of oh platforms God, of their own. And, <laughs> you know, like, I think the most of the podcasts I, I look at, it's like, they're mostly, you know, white people that they're interviewing, even when it's on topics that yeah. aren't even like white centered. It's like, okay, so <laughs> clearly, you have enough platforms of your own that it's okay if I choose to make this like my space where I get to talk about whatever I want to with people of mm-hmm. color, because I know that these conversations are so important. And a lot of times they're not happening because, you know, people will always kind of choose to bring on their friend who's like also just a white person and like all of those things. So I love what you said about like, you get to choose where you have these conversations and how, because, you know, I know you do like community calls, um, for your yeah. community and it's just people and I've I've been in one um, recently and, and I loved that experience of just having like all of these women who were talking about their experiences and it did feel very safe like it felt like you could be open and vulnerable and you didn't have to worry about like sugarcoating things and you know making sure people weren't offended and all of that so mm-hmm. I loved that yeah um I love that you said that about, I mean, everything that you said, right? And one thing I want to, like, normalize for folks, though, is that, like, that safety isn't always guaranteed, even when we're with folks of color. Mm -hmm. I think every single one of us has experienced harm at the hands of other folks of color because there is so much internalized whiteness that lives inside our communities, inside our culture, inside our, inside our culture, Mm -hmm. And it's disguised as culture, but really it's trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's hard. It's really, really hard to feel safe speaking your truth, even around other folks of color, around these things. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I'll also say is that like, because I... I feel like this is so why I talk about with leadership, right? Like I really try to bring like myself down to like a human level around these things. I try not to like feel godly about these things. Like this is also my personality. Mm. Like, you know, I'm the kind of person where if you wrong me, you're dead to me. And that's just kind of it. And I'm cool not talking to you. And so like cutting out white people is actually pretty par for the course for me. (laughs) It's like, I don't miss them. They're cool. Like I, I have a white husband. He's all I can tolerate. It's all the whiteness I can tolerate in this world. Um, so yeah, it's like, I, I think I'm also just naturally more inclined to make these kinds of decisions. And I want to normalize that for people who are struggling or who, who do waver is that like, maybe you're just not like me and that's totally fine. Right. Yeah. Well, and I loved what you said about like, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking now. Um, oh, about like how each of us have like our own sort of relationship to it. Because like, I mean, it, to me, it, it just reminds me of like, you know, I think that like not all people of color are the same, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we don't all have the same experiences as much as white people want to look at us and just be like, oh, okay, you're just one group of, you know, people of color and then there's us. Yeah. But it's not really like that. And I've had these conversations with people where it's like, 
everyone's lived experiences is different as people Mm -hmm. of color because my experience as an immigrant in this country is going to be different than your experience as a black woman in this country. And, you know, and I think that like it is being able, and like you said about we can harm each other because of the fact that we also don't really even realize sometimes that my lived experiences are so different than the person next to me. And we can't all just say like, okay, we've had the same exact experience across the board. And I think that that is very important that even people of color really acknowledge that. Yeah. It's so important. And like going even more granular than that, even when you have had the same experiences, um, There's just different ways in which the trauma of living in these racialized bodies has impacted you. There are different ways that some people have broken out. Like we're just all on these different points of our journeys. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's just really important to acknowledge that for ourselves because not even just white people, but we also within our cultures perpetuate the myth of the monolith, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure you guys have it in your culture. Mm -hmm. I know with black folks, like that's a big reason why I didn't feel black enough is because when I was growing up, like I talked like this and all the other (laughs) girls were like, oh, who the fuck are you? You think you're good too good for us? And I was like, I don't know. Like I just talk like this. I don't know what to do. You know? Yeah. I didn't like the, like, I didn't like to do normal things. Like, I was a weird kid. I didn't, like, my cousins would, like, rough and, like, be rough and, like, whatever. And I was like, I just want to be in the corner. Like, that was me. <laughs> yeah, same. So it's really important that we just, like, recognize how the myth of the monolith lives in ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I talk a lot with clients when we're really challenging, like, the, identi- the identities that they feel like don't exist within them or they're not enough with it's like okay but what is the story that you're making of your identity and like how is holding yourself to that fair and is it really an accurate picture because I know a lot of times like I'll just speak from the black experience right it's like um to be a a correct black person I have to speak Ebonics I have to have grown up in the hood Mm -hmm. I have to have done all of these things which like what the fuck kind of stereotype is that anyways And so it's, like, really important to look at, like, okay, what is this monolith that we're painting in our brain and, like, does it actually serve us? Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I mean, when I look at, like, the Black culture, it's, like, you know, you have, like, you're educated Black people. And then, you ha- mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there is, like, very much this thing of, like, oh, what, what kind of Black person are they? Are they acceptable? And you're just, like, okay, but, I mean, does it, like, that's their experience. And I, and I have the same thing with, like, being Indian because I've pretty much grown up here in, in the U.S. and now of course with like hinduism and stuff being so like appropriated by you know Mm -hmm. white culture or whoever like yoga everything it's like i do have these moments where i'm like oh i'm not indian enough like i don't know enough about my own culture or my own religion and all of these things but like that's okay because i mean it really wasn't pushed on me as a child like my parents weren't like here you have to like learn all the scripture and do everything so Mm -hmm. like that's okay but you know it's like i think now i kind of compare myself to other people and say oh am i am i good enough like you know am i indian enough and i and i think that that is something that we do to ourselves where it's like we almost tear ourselves down for something that growing up didn't even really matter to us we were just living our lives but now all of a sudden as adults we're like so hard on ourselves for not being enough so i love that you like normalize that for your clients um mm-hmm. so let's move on to um you mentioned doing your work with um the revolutionary leadership so what does revolutionary leadership mean to you and why is it so important for all of us 
Oh, that's a great question. So revolutionary leadership for me is so many things. And I think, you know, number one, I want to say revolutionary leadership is an individual thing. So you have to define what your version of revolutionary leadership is. My definition of it is it's revolutionary leadership where you and your needs are important. So that means you create uncomfortable boundaries. You ask for what you need from your people and where you get to be a whole human being, like with needs and wants and desires and feelings and like all the things. Um, it's also leadership that's collaborative and not hierarchical as much as you can make it. Um, it's leadership in which you're not isolated, in which you are not just collaborative with your team, but that you have co-conspirators and people out in this world that you feel comfortable coming to and asking questions. It's leadership where you don't have to have all the answers. You get to ask for help. You get to be messy and transparent. Um, those are like some of the big ones that I would say live in revolutionary leadership for me. And it's, you know, it's really just about leadership that values people over profit and you get to be one of those people along with your team. That's what I would say. Like mm. if you want to distill it, that's really what it is. Yeah. I think, um, so I know that you are a projector in human design. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the details of your design. I don't know if you do, but, um, so I know you're a projector. And so, I think um, you did a podcast episode on your own podcast, probably, I know it was season one, I, but it was, it was kind of all idea. about like success, like like how you define success. And it, it wasn't even yeah. labeled that, I, I forget the name of it now. And I will put it actually in the description because it was oh, like, it was such a good episode. I mean, I know you were just kind of talking and like, and yeah, you're, it wasn't really like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really like a, this is what this is for, but. I just you you just talked about kind of your own journey and how like you weren't about buying into this whole like you know bullshit story of like this is what success has to look like and yeah. you know this is how I have to like work with my team and all of these things and I remember just being like wow that is so powerful and especially as a fellow projector it's like you know I always talk about this thing of like we really need to define success for ourselves before we can really go out in the world and be like, okay, I'm a projector who's all about getting success because it's like, well, that could look different for every single mm. one of us. Like one, but like, you know, one person's success of like, I need to make $10 million this year could look like someone else's like, can I just get my like six figure just to like, you know, live a life that isn't, you know, overcomplicated. So, you know, and, and that kind of goes into the next question because you actually recently did another podcast episode. You just started your second season um, on your podcast about like revolutionary leadership and all of these mm -hmm. things. And you did an episode about like how you don't need an empire. That's what it's called. It's like you don't yeah. need an empire. And oh my God, like it just spoke to me like so deeply. And I had actually just had a conversation with someone else about it, like about this idea that you know, it doesn't look the same for all of us. And so I would really like to talk about like, how can we stay true to our vision for success without falling into the trap of needing to keep up with like, with everyone else's definition of success? Oh man, that is a deep question. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the short answer, how do we stay true to our vision of success? I just want to make sure I have it. How do we stay true to our vision of success while also without getting caught up in everyone else's vision, right? Right, yeah. What I would say is it's a lot of constant daily work um, because the truth is that those like 
other people's visions of success have been fed to us and force fed to us from birth. We were literally put in school and trained to like follow one version of success. And Mm -hmm. as a result, it can feel wrong or yeah, it can feel like we're doing something wrong when we're not doing that. Um, For me, number one, well, I'll say, I would say for me, staying true to my vision of success is really defining it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of us, we like want to be successful. Um, and then we're like, but wait, what does success actually look like for me? And what mm-hmm. is more important? Um, it's also acknowledging that we're going to have to make choices. Um, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine, um, who's another revolutionary leader who I love. Mm -hmm. And they talked about, okay, my business isn't growing as quickly because I've prioritized rest. What do I do? And I was like, well, I think you just have to look at what you value more. Do you value like wild exponential growth or do you value having a regulated nervous system? No right or wrong answer Mm -hmm. there. I know what my choice is, but you have to make your choice. Um, So it's just recognizing that with everything in life, it's like, you're choosing what you value more and you get to value some things more in different seasons. Your version of success like will shift and change. Um, I know last year, my version of success was like having a big group coaching program. Now my vision of success is like having a tiny group coaching program and a few one-on-one clients. Like that would feel really good to me. And like my version of success this year is focused more on how I feel about my work instead of what the fuck I'm doing. Cause like, what does it matter what I'm doing if I don't enjoy it and if I'm miserable and if I'm stressed at night, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my, that's how, that's my version. And I just do daily work around it. It's really about, it's really about saying for me, like what's one thing I can do to create this version of success today. It's about reflecting on how was I successful today um, it's doing mindset work. It's surrounding myself by people with people who share similar values. Um, and maybe if not the same visions, like similar ish visions mm-hmm. so that I'm not being like drawn into a comparison, like the comparison itis that you can get by like looking at someone else who's like, well, I made a hundred K in one week in January. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, sure. I know you worked all the way through the holidays, but live your truth. Oh, <laughs> That's the part they don't tell you. <laughs> That's the part they don't tell you. They tell me sometimes because they're like, but they don't tell everyone else. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it's really about, I think it's about protecting it and it's about working it. So you protect it by being in spaces that are safe for you and where people understand you and see you and share similar values. And then within those spaces, you work, you have to work at it every day. It's not, it doesn't come natural because the way we spent that, we've had decades of people programming us the other way. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting to me is, I mean, obviously like once you come into like this entrepreneurial space online where everyone is like throwing around all the like money figures and all these things is, you know, I think that it is like about normalizing for yourself that it's okay if you don't want Mm -hmm. that big growth. Because like, I think, I think what I've really, you know, been sitting with is this idea that like, I, I want women to have money. I want women to be wildly successful, be you know, bazillionaires, like all the things like I want all of that. But also like, like you said, but it's also about like, can your nervous system handle it? And do you mm-hmm. also need it? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that we just all want to say, oh my God, okay, I just, I just need to be a millionaire because that's, you know, that's how I'll know I, I made it. But that's not for everyone. And also, I mean, you know, going forward, like into kind of, you know, the future of where we're going as a society it's like 
how are you also using that money? Because saying I have a million dollars or more in the bank, but I'm not, you know, helping other people. I'm not, you know, like being of service to other people. All of those things are going to matter where it's not just about like, I'm just a woman who can accumulate wealth. Like it's like, okay, but are we also giving back to society and doing the things that, you know, money can actually help you with that we haven't been Mm -hmm. doing so far. So I think it's a lot of just normalizing that it's also okay to not want it, to not want the big team and all of that stuff. So I think, yeah, I mean, if you want to speak to that, because I know that you do talk about this, so... Yeah. I will. Something I will say is that like, if you're out here and you're like, I still, I, well, I'm not going to laugh. Right. I, if you're still out here saying like, I need to go and chase those dollars, you do you, because the truth mm-hmm. is like, you could want it and you could still be functioning from a place of scarcity. And from the truth that like your people haven't had money and like, you've seen what not having money has like, you, look how, how not having money has impacted your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you want that, like, and that's the place that you're coming from. And like, that's totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and like, if you're out here in these streets and you're like, wait, I tried it. It felt horrible. How do I do something different? Um, that is cool too. You know, I, I'll speak from personal experience and some of the experiences of my clients as well. Um, something that I see a lot, I've seen for myself, I've seen for my clients is the like initial chase after the six figures, multiple six figures, all the things like doing it because like we're badass bitches. And like before this, we were like successful career people. And like, we're (laughs) used to, to the hustle and the grind. And then you're doing it and you're like, none of this feels worth it. Hmm. Literally zero of it feels worth it. And once you start like climbing that financial ladder, you start interacting with some of the other people who are making that money and you recognize Oh, like I was saying earlier, my friend who bragged about making 100K at the first week of February didn't take a day off during the holidays. Or my other friend who made 500K in one year hasn't taken a vacation in six years. And (laughs) I'm just like, what? No. (laughs) When I hear that kind of stuff, it shakes me to my entire (laughs) core. Like, Um, (laughs) at least in corporate, you get your two weeks, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And so then what I've seen a lot, and this is what I've done is that like, it's like, okay, I built this thing. It's not working for me. Isn't even what I want, or is it the thing that I thought I was supposed to do? Cause it's scalable. Is it the right thing? And so then you get to scale it back. It's actually a really beautiful place to be at because you know, what doesn't work. Like you're clear. They're like, okay, I don't want this thing anymore. Now let me scale it back and experiment. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I've been doing in my business for the past two years really is just scaling back and figuring out like, okay, what is comfortable? What do I need? What do I want? And um, how do I want to have my team? I used to have a vision of like, actually, I didn't, I kind of had this vision of having like a big team where we served like hundreds of BIPOC folks and blah, 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 blah legacy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, we going to have Two coaches, one assistant, that's it. We ain't doing no more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that wasn't my vision, really. It was some coaches that told me that in order to have impact, I had to have a full, like, full-time empl- full team of full-time employees, and I had to do all these other things. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's really all about experimentation. It's figuring out what does, it, does feel good, what doesn't. And again, as I said before, it's a, it's, it can all also be seasonal. There can be years where you keep it small. There can be other years where you have more capacity and you build it out and then you break it down again. Um, it gets to be fluid. 
Yeah, I'm I'm totally like coming into this year. I'm like, um, let's find ways to make passive income. Like that's where I'm mm-hmm. at. Where it's like, I mean, not that I'm at a point where it's like, oh, I'm making so much money and then I have to scale back. But at the same time, I'm also like, can we just like rest more this year? Like, can we just <laughs> yeah. maybe like find ways that we could take it easy and also like serve people? But you know, I, I and I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, I feel like like you said to each his own. Where it's like, okay, you might be the person who. You know, I see people who put out like, you know, offer after offer where sometimes it's like I can't even keep track. I'm like, how do you know what you're offering? Because it's like (laughs) I can't even keep track. And it's like, you know, and it's just like all the time. And I'm like, aren't you tired of just like coming on IG to talk about like everything that that's going on? Like, you know, and I well, and I also um, do you like kind of use or like work with human design at all like in your business I used to a lot more actually and so you know I, I, just as you were saying that clearly the psychic connection was here in this <laughs> moment because I, w- I was like this is also two projectors talking right. and so it's like I took all of December off it, took, it was like up to about five weeks I am not kidding where I say I spent 50% of that time in bed and it mm. felt so correct it yeah. was just like I felt no desires to get out of my bed I would get out for like a couple hours and be like mm, gonna go back in there now like I missed my bed yeah exactly (laughs) but yeah actually um a lot of my thoughts around rest really came from embracing the fact that I'm a projector so I'm a um, 6'2 self-projected projector okay um and I haven't worked with human design as much recently but you know I still really follow that and like that understanding of like waiting for the invitation like I don't chase after people all the way that Mm -hmm. I used to anymore I'm like that's not my design it does not work for me right um the way that I structure my schedule I typically I work no more than four hours a day typically I'm working like three Mm -hmm. um and a big part of that is understanding that as a projector look I need massive breaks I don't have the energy for all these things um so yeah that's definitely a huge huge part of my process and I've seen it to be something that's really helpful for my clients as well I love that you're a self-projected projector now it makes sense why your podcasts are more just like diary entries (laughs) to yourself yeah I love it because I was like oh okay well that makes a lot of sense but yeah like I and I I think even what you said around like invitations and because like you know I obviously like reached out to you to be on my podcast Mm -hmm. and you know and in the past it's like I've had coaches be like, oh, you need to, you know, like send out all of these like DMs and ask people to like, if you can be on their podcast. And I'm like, well, no, like, I mean, and it already felt wrong because I'm not Mm -hmm. the type of person who would like chase anything. But at the like then knowing I was a projector, it felt even worse because I'm like, well, how do I even know that that person is like resonating with my message? Because like the reason I ask people to be on my podcast is because like I've heard something or I've seen something that you've done that I'm like oh my God, I want to have this conversation as opposed to like, okay, you're just a person and I need to fill a slot. It's like, will you be on my podcast? And I feel like, you know, I, I want people to resonate with my work and that's why they want to, you know, talk to me about whatever. And I feel like, you know, that, that to me is, is like a, such a game changer. I kind of knew about human design, like right before I'd started my business, which I think saved me a lot of trouble at the beginning of, you know, cause yeah, like all the like, Oh, you need to slide into people's DMS and like cold DMS. I, from the start was like, none of that will work. I'm not doing any of that. That already feels gross. Like, you know, and I, but I think you also have to, I mean, I, you know, not to say anything about like people who try all of these things, but I feel like you have to have a certain amount of like, 
like strength or conviction like coming into oh, yeah. to being an entrepreneur because you have to know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do because you are like so easily led astray by so many coaches who are like this is mm. the tactic and this is how it's done and you're like but none of that feels good <laughs> like does that work for you like <laughs> none of it feels good and it's so hard. It's so funny. Every time I like meet someone who's like brands making new into the industry, I'm like, they're like, what advice would you give me? And I was like, never hire a business coach. <laughs> Just do your own thing. Like selling stuff isn't really that complex. It's like you have a thing, you tell people about it, someone's going to buy it at the end and just like follow your intuition. I wish I'd met um, you back like a year and a half ago. <laughs> you would have saved oh me a lot of money and trouble. <laughs> me too. You know, it's funny. I... I don't know. I do and I don't regret getting into the online entrepreneurship space. Mm -hmm. I wish I had known like kind of what you knew going in about being a projector and like taking it with a grain of salt because I didn't. I didn't understand. It took me quite a bit of money to recognize that no one's strategy was going to work for me. And it's like mm -hmm. just all about me at the end of the day. Um, but it's I don't even know what I was saying. What I was saying was but it's just it's just really um Hmm. I got totally lost in that, actually. <laughs> I don't know where I was, <laughs> what I was saying, what we were talking about. Like, oh, we were just talking about like having conviction or like knowing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, having conviction and knowing. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will say that even as someone who knows better, who is who, like, I'm not going to do the thing that is like someone else's rule, I still will find myself feeling wrong about doing the thing that's right for me because it's against the rules and it's not the way I'm supposed to do things. Um, it's, it's a really difficult tension. And I think anytime you are liberating yourself, anytime you're decolonizing, you're going to have to get comfortable with that tension because it's just going to exist. It's really hard to completely drop all the narratives that are constantly mm -hmm. being fed to us 24 seven, whether it's the online entrepreneurship industry, whether it's white supremacy, whether it's capitalism, like all the things, it's really hard to drop those narratives because they're pervasive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think and that kind of goes into what I wanted to talk about was um, so you talked about kind of like how you rested all through December and all that. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, I love that, you know, and I think I mean, I think a lot of us were in that space. Hopefully I know there were other people who were still hustling, working hard. But um, so how do you balance being a revolutionary leader while also doing your own decolonization work around like working less, resting more? Because that is truly the projector dream. So <laughs> um, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's actually, it feels really symbiotic to me, um, those things, because I understand that being a revolutionary leader, it all starts with me. Um, and that's so much of what we teach in my program and the work that I do is like, yeah, we can talk about your business. Yeah, we can talk about the, the team dynamics. And also, like, there's something within you that is, like, bumping here, triggered here. And, like, that's the thing that's actually helpful for us to navigate. Because when you are different, you're able to lead differently. You're able to run your business differently. Um, when, like, the more you are liberated, the more that everything else kind of locks into place. So I spend a lot of the time, and I'm even increasing it significantly more, focusing on me. Um, I will spend hours like pulling tarot cards, meditating, like I, 
not meditating. Why am I lying? <laughs> but like <laughs> <laughs> laying in bed, <laughs> laying in bed, but literally, yeah, laying in bed or like doing somatic work. Um, I'll spend hours doing that kind of stuff um, because I understand that that is the work and creating that capacity within my own self and my own nervous system, my energetics, like that is what allows me to have everything I want. Not the act of doing, not the writing the marketing letter, like all of those things are results of doing that internal um, unwinding. Yeah, it almost sounds to me and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it sounds to me like that is kind of the future of where the industry, I hope so. yeah, hope, yeah, exactly. Hope so like <laughs> needs to go is because I, I find that, you know, like, like I said, when I first kind of came into it, I, I saw a lot more of people who were like trying to sell like their strategy and really trying mm-hmm. to just focus on like, okay, what are all the like work that needs to go into your business. And now it's like the people I really resonate with are the people who are more like, let's focus on you and let's focus on what you need. And then from there, like everything else will fall into place because I know like even for myself, because coming into like this year, it's, it's been slow. Like, you know, I've been taking it really slow and, you know, I know that like we're, even though we're calling it the new year, like the new year doesn't technically start until about like March. And so (laughs) I think, you know, obviously, you know, East coast, it's like dead of winter here, um, snowstorms, all of that. So it's like, you know, I think that, but I will say that, you know, in, in the time when I'm kind of just like taking it easy and stuff, it's like, then when like the work does happen, it happens so much faster because then it's like, okay, I got the energy or like the idea just came in and I got it done. As opposed to, I think in the past, I would have been like, oh, I need to sit with this forever and I need to like write this whole email. But it's like, I think that is the projector thing, right? It's like, you can get the work done so much faster if you're just like willing to also take that that rest and that downtime. And it's so hard. It's true. Mm. And it's so hard. I mean, that's something literally earlier today, I was like sitting with earlier today, yesterday, because I have a launch coming up and I'm like, I have to get all these things done. I'm worried I won't get it done because I know how I am. I know it's good. I'm going to have to push the ship back another month and like all these things. And like, (laughs) like Giselle, you have bills to pay. Right. And I'm, and the rest of me is like, okay, but it'll happen when it happens. It'll happen mm-hmm. when you have the space for it. There, maybe in this moment, um, maybe in this moment, there's something brewing and a new understanding that needs to happen so that you can like do it better and faster. But it's really hard. It's mm-hmm. really, really hard to be in that place. Um, this quote that this quote um, that I heard recently, I think I got it from this book I am like moving through called Tarot for Change. Um, it said, um, "What lives, die- everything that lives dies and everything that dies lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's really important for us all to remember because to me, what that quote means is that like, of course we all understand the first part, but I think what we forget is that like in that, process of death like there's something new brewing there's something new coming it just is like waiting to sprout out from the earth again and if we can trust that moment then there's like so much 
there's a bounty waiting for us. It's just that we have to trust that moment. And so we can fight it the whole way or we can just give in, which I know is easier said than done. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really sitting with like the word flow this year. Like that's kind Mm. of, you know, really where I'm at. And it's really more like, yeah, like the rhythms of life, right? Like you Mm -hmm. said, like the death and rebirth and all of that, because it is like, it's so easy to get caught up in the pushing and the like, okay, if I can just like, like you said, like, even when you have like a launch coming up and like, you know that you have something there, but you're like, okay, but you know what, I might push it back a month, I might have to the ideas or whatever might not come in. And I think that like, I mean, of course, we all struggle with this idea of, okay, but I also need the money, like I also have to pay bills. And, you know, and I think that that that's when it really becomes this difficult thing of, okay, how much are you willing to just sit back and allow yourself to receive? And how much are you then like, okay, but I'm also like living in a world where like capitalism exists, and I have to pay bills. And, you know, and I and I think that 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 is something that like, I don't know, it seems to be a theme that a lot of people are working through this year. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it will be very powerful for a lot of us, like, you know, to just be okay with the slowness and and like the rhythms of life. So um, it'll be interesting to see, like, I, I'm sure there'll be people who will fight it every step of the way. <laughs> and like, I see you, I love you, I've been you, like, you know. And I also like, one thing I like really want to normalize here too is that we are existing within capitalism. And I like, I don't want to spiritually bypass and say that like, just wait for it and it'll all come, right? We'll just manifest because, it. Like. Just manifest it. Because, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like we, have, like a lot of us have experienced scarcity. A lot of us like have bills to pay. We have people to care for. And so like, if you have, if you can't, like you really, really can't, you have money to make, go do it. Like go mm-hmm. do it. Like do the pushing that you need to do to take care of yourself and your people and like there's no shame in that as well and I pray that at some point in the work that you're doing that you um find a reprieve from that so that you can actually take care of yourself right because we do Mm -hmm. live underneath these systems and they are punishing and you know something that I think is really important for us to say when we're talking about trying to push back against capitalism and that's what we're doing when we rest and we take care of our humanity is that Capitalism punishes us when we do that, you know, Mm -hmm. like we do face repercussions most of the time. And if you cannot like withstand repercussions from capitalism, I see, I see you and that's okay. And I'm sorry that that you're in that situation, you know? Um, and so I think it's just important for us to acknowledge that as well. Like when we're saying this, it's like, it's it's always a yes. And because the binary is not real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's the system, and I think it's also coming from like our families not like you oh, know because totally. yeah, like a lot of mine is like you know family not understanding kind of like mm-hmm. like if you're just like sitting around, they're like, what are you doing? Like what? <laughs> like your job is to just like take naps and you know, and it's like yeah, th- there's just this feeling. I think especially as like people of color, you know, I think that there's like this stigma around rest, right? Like that totally. we're just like never allowed to rest, you know, and. Like, and I just kind of have to like consciously remind myself sometimes that your ancestors are actually very proud of you for taking that time to rest, right? right? I mean, because like you are like their dream, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, so I think mm-hmm. that, that that is something that, you know, if I mean, and I know that's like, you know, making it seem very nice, like, oh, just go rest because like everything will work out. But it's also, I think that we have to sometimes remind ourselves that we are in this place where we can 
you know, take more time for ourselves if that's possible and to like, you mm-hmm. know, self-care, all of those things and to really like, you know, prioritize that. Because if yeah. you don't, no one else is going to give you the time to do it. So <laughs> ain't that the truth? I think at the end of the day, it's really just about being conscious of what choices you really do have. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what are the consequences of making those choices? Right. It's like, um, it's like our ancestors did do, did do all these things so that we can rest. Um, and also if resting feels dangerous to your heart, feels dangerous to your soul, then like, that's okay. It's a choice you get to make your, our ancestors also worked and worked the way they did and survived the way that they did so that we had choices. Yeah. Um, and, or if you're experiencing family pushback, which is really hard, family is so funky. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I'll say about that one is like, if you do experience family that has pushback, try to remember like what they actually want for you. Because I think a lot of times our family express things that like they expressed the ways they feel like they, like things should work out for us in the way that we should do things. But really at the end of the day, end of the day, they want like they just want us to feel secure. They just want us to like actually be happy. Like they might not really know it on the conscious level, but they do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know, um, they want all these things for us. And we have to kind of push past the things that they say sometimes to like really see their hearts um, mm-hmm. as parents and as ancestors. Yeah. That could be a real challenge. Well, and I think it like, even just like you said about like prioritizing, you know, I think that that, that also comes back to like what we talked about earlier with like the empire and kind of like, okay, maybe look at, are you pushing to like, you know, get to a place that you may not even really want, you know, Mm because a lot of us, I think like we, we use these words, like, I just want freedom and like all these things. But yeah, it's like, okay, but is the freedom coming from like you pushing? Or is it coming from you just like being able to like have enough to thrive? And yet you're not like, you know, breaking your back and hustling every day and doing all these things. Because, you know, I think that sometimes we tend to think that like we need a lot more than we actually do in order to like just be happy and mm-hmm. you know so I think that 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 again always comes back to this thing of like you need to know what you're working towards so that it's like when you get there you can just be like okay I'm here and it's not like this constant like I'm pushing the goalpost even further out <laughs> yeah. so that you know I can just like keep keep going mm-hmm. and if you do find yourself pushing the goalposts out it's very likely that you're indexing on the wrong things and so something I always look at with my clients it's like okay you want x number of clients or you want to make x number of money why like what's the thing that you actually want um because a lot of times the things that we want like freedom like financial security like I know for me you know I've really been decolonizing the way I manifest in like what I manifest what I'm like manifesting for this year. Mm -hmm. And um, thanks to my work with my friend Raquel, who's like all about this, she, I realized that like, okay, so I'm pushing to have X number of clients, but really what I want is to feel successful, to feel proud of myself, to support my people. And it's like, well, can I do like, how can I get those things without focusing on the numbers? Like, what do I actually need to do those things? Um, Because like, there's, I can get the exact number of clients I want and I still might not feel successful. You know, I still might Mm. not actually get the thing that I really want. So just look at like, especially when you're talking about tangible stuff and wanting tangible stuff, we usually don't want tangible things. We usually want the thing that's a tangible thing is going to provide for us. So focus on the thing that you actually think it's going to provide for you and work towards that. And like, 
maybe the how will look a little different, um, but you'll still get actually what you need and what you want. Mm, yeah, that's so important. I think like the how, because <laughs> that's the part like I always forget is the how can look so many different ways. Like that's mm-hmm. not something we need to control. It's just about the like getting like, you know, figuring out like what it is that you actually want, because that can come in so many different ways. And, you know, universe can always surprise you with like, oh, I didn't even expect this thing to come in in this package. But you know what, this is even better than the thing that I was working towards. Like you're saying like, oh, I want X amount of clients when really it's like, you could have fewer clients and yet, you know, something else could come in that could take that place. And you're like, awesome. You know, so I love <laughs> like, that. I yeah, I needed that, that reminder. <laughs> like, don't worry about the how. <laughs> um, I love this conversation. I knew it was going to be epic, amazing. And I loved like just every everywhere that we went. So um, can you please just let everyone know where they can find you and what you're currently working on? Yes. Um, so everyone can find me. Um, through my website, which is just GiselleAllen.com. Make sure you spell Giselle right. Um, and through there, you can find my podcast. You can find um, a really great PDF guide that I created recently that um, has like three sneaky ways that white supremacy culture and capitalism um, like show up in our leadership. And it's not basic stuff. Like I really picked out things for advanced folks. So whether you think you know, like give it a shot, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty consistently on my newsletter. So find your way on my newsletter. Um, that's the only place I'll ever be all the time. And I'm on Instagram sometimes when I feel like it, but usually a lot of the time, actually. So you can find me over on Instagram as well. Um, as Poppy mentioned, I have a podcast called the Revolutionary Rising Podcast. It's great. We have two seasons. Binge it. Have fun. Yes. <laughs> um, and what I'm working on right now Um I am relaunching my group program, Revolutionary Rising. Um, We have a cohort beginning in April. So if you've loved this conversation, want to have more of it with other like revolutionary leaders, come find me. And we're doing some really, really dope uh, events in the lead up to it. So if I'm sure we'll still have some by the time this airs happening and they're like, we are completely breaking the mold of the ways that people typically do like events and things like that in the online entrepreneurship space where we're really creating these cool experiences. So come hang out with us. Um, yeah. oh. <laughs> you're, it's going to be really great. Yeah, I love it. And definitely get on her newsletter. I love like, yeah, every time it is just like amazing. It's always just like you go really deep into things and I feel like everybody needs to hear kind of like what you're talking about. And yeah, if you have community calls, definitely join um, community calls where you can just connect with other um, entrepreneurship, like revolutionary leaders. I will put all of your information below in the description so you can go find her. Definitely binge the podcast. There are amazing episodes on there. Um, But thank you again for joining me. And I loved this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at flowinshakti. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.